Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We ended as we took a break during the Passover week as we celebrated the coming of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem to be cut off from his people by way of the cross as Daniel 9 prophesied and nevertheless the people in their self-desired wills um, could not anticipate that because they did not read the prophecy properly. Not because it's complicated, but because our sin blinds us from the truth. It is not intellect that causes us to see clearly. It is righteousness, holiness. When we are angry, when we are bitter, when we are frustrated, when we are lustful, when we are filled with covetousness and idolatry, we cannot see clearly. No matter how smart somebody is, there's some brilliant people in the world. Um, you guys, I don't know why this is the case. I can speculate, but you know Mr. Bean. He made it around the world. I mean, you talk about some Hollywood actors, even Africans don't know him. You talk about Roy Atkins, Mr. Bean. He has made it around the world. You know Mr. Bean. He has 165 IQ. His IQ is higher than Albert Einstein's and Stephen Hawking's. Incredible IQ. And yet, he, this man is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. A genius, a bona fide genius. And he's made the world laugh, actually innocently and, and cleanly for, for decades. So it's not his IQ that, led him, that leads people to Christ. It is um, humility, brokenness. And then in the righteousness of Christ pursued and the righteousness of Christ abided in and lived in, we can see clearly. But when there's anger and bitterness and hate and covetousness and idolatry, all these things blind us like it blinded the nation of Israel. So we learned that all these things in the Passover. We return here and we ended in verse 5 where the Bible says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Bible in Romans chapter 5, the first five verses, incredible portion of scripture. Um, it says we have an eternal hope. By the grace in which we stand, we rejoice in the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So... The Bible all of a sudden, once again, as it does several times in this portion of Scripture, in Romans chapter 1, talking about count it all joy when you go through various trials, and remembering the Bible is the master of understatements. When it says count it all joy when you go through various trials, it's not just saying, you know, count it all joy when your matatu's late in town and you get in trouble with your boss. You know, that trial, which is... You're, you should count joy in that trial too. But it is giving the vast array of all the accumulative trials that we ever go through. That's an incredible thing. It's like, oh no, I'll count it all joy when, you know, um, somebody gossips about me or when I get, you know, this small things happen. 
But no, count it all joy, Paul, when he's thrown in prison, when he's stoned almost to death. Do you know that even his friends outside of, a, think, Lystra was it, or Iconium, I forget the city, he, he's cast out of the city after he's stoned, and his friends, think, they think he's dead. They think he's dead because he's sitting there with what would appear lifeless. I've held what seemed to be lifeless bodies in my arms. Adults and my daughter, JL, when she drowned in the pool. They're like, you know, noodles or something. All cold. I, um, I tried to do CPR on a gentleman who passed out here in Eldoret. Lifeless. I had to do the mouth to mouth. It was really difficult, but I, I did it. I put my lips on a man's mouth with the biggest lips I've ever felt in my life. I can't even think about it. I got a gag problem. Let me recover. <coughs> Excuse me. It's real, guys. It's real. I'm fine now. It was a traumatic experience. Count it all joy. Not when you, you know, go through something like that, but when you go through all the worst things in life. Lifeless. And Paul, he all of a sudden comes back from, what he's unconscious, and he goes back into the city because he's not done with his sermon. He's not done preaching the gospel in that city. It's incredible. So when it says these things in Romans 5, and it, and, and it says, okay, I get it. Count it all joy. Um, when, gl glory in Christ here. Count it all joy in the book of James when you go through tribulations. And humanity is just like, even Christians, which by the way, I haven't attained to this. I haven't attained to this. Start praising God when you're going through something terrible. But when, you, when this happens, he's saying to do this because we have a hope in eternity with Christ. And Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, anticipates the questions that we're going to ask. How ridiculous is it to glory in tribulations? I mean, these, some of these people are starving. You think it's bad. I mean... Poverty is bad in Kenya right now. It was worse for them under the oppression of Rome and the religious leaders at the temple. And he's saying, but, but count it all joy. Glory in tribulations. Glory in tribulations. Well, he anticipates the question of why should we do that? He says, because we have an eternal hope. Well, how do we know if we have an eternal hope? How do we know if God is really going to come for us. How do we know? Because guys, here's the reality. Tribulations, we should not glory in them or count them joy if we don't have an eternal hope. If we don't have an eternal salvation and an eternal hope in the presence of Christ, being with Him forever, if we don't have that, then we should 
focus on something else entirely, probably power, money, possessions. Now, of course, those things are futile because the reality is Christ is God. It is real. He, he did come and all these things. But the point is, if we don't have this eternal hope, there's no reason to glory in tribulations. We should be complaining. But because there is a God, because his name is Jesus Christ, because he came, because he died on the cross, because he was buried in tomb and raised on the third dead, we have this eternal hope. And the question we must ask, and the Bible answers is, how do we know this hope is real? Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out in your hearts. That's how we know it's real. The Holy Spirit. You guys know the Holy Spirit is in you for those of you who are born again. You know it. And the more you abide in the word, the more you abide in prayer, the more you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your life. So, do you have the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes for these, those who are born again. Then you know for sure the scriptures are true. And it goes on. In our portion today, verses 6 to 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now begun, uh, been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So the Apostle Paul does this thing that he keeps on doing in the book of Romans. And sometimes it can last one chapter, a chapter and a half, 17 verses where he is giving this profound doctrine, reality of who mankind is, who God is, proving who mankind is, backing up his statements through incredible portions of scripture that he refers to back in the Old Testament concerning Abraham. And then when, when he gives enough doctrine to say this is the absolute truth, you can't argue with this. It's even in your scriptures that Abraham was saved before he was circumcised, that Abraham was saved before he was uh, a, a Hebrew. He's the first one. He's an uncircumcised Gentile, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And, and so all these profound proofs of truths, and then he'll go into this preaching this proclamation, uh, this glorious speech. And he's saying, and that's what he's doing here, that while we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's, it's interesting. I, I, to do Expositions could last for eternity. We could do an entire series on the sentence in due time. And many pastors have. Many Bible commentators have commentated, why did Jesus come in a time when there was no cell phones? No subscribers to YouTube. No Instagram post. No Facebook. No internet. 
No television, no airplane, no cars or trucks. Why? Well, they've speculated on it. They've talked about it. I could just say to you this morning, he doesn't need those things. Not that we can't use them for his glory. He doesn't need them. He came in a time where the fastest that people had ever gone on earth was the speed of a horse. And yet he has affected humanity more than any other individual. And nobody can argue with that, even non-Christians. While we were out strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then he goes on, for you can scarcely find a righteous man, somebody to die for him. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is one of my favorite scriptures, especially to share while I'm sharing the gospel. I've often illustrated, it hit me years ago when I saw a YouTube clip of John Hinckley trying to kill Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan being the American president in the 80s was a good president, righteous man because of Christ. And he was coming out of a building, getting into his motorcade, and John Hinckley opened fire. And what's interesting about that video is the American president is surrounded by the most well-trained individuals on planet Earth. These guys are as tough as nails. They recruit people from all the different special forces branches of the different military, Navy SEALs, Delta Force. Just the, they're already really bad to the bone. That was an American slang. I, I try not to do that. They were already very tough. Bad. Bad to the bone. You guys, is that too old, too outdated, too uncultural? These guys are so tough. And after that, they even train them more. And they are to lay their life down for the American president no matter what the cost. And when John Hinckley opened fire, the first reaction of one of the most well-trained men on planet Earth was to duck. And then his training kicked in, and he jumped in front of the president and took a bullet to the chest. And why was his first reaction, even through all of his training, to, to duck is because you can scarcely find a man that will die for a good man for righteous man, for important people. But, but Christ comes to be our bodyguards when no one else has. Nobody came to church today with the bodyguard. We don't have, either have enough money, and it would be silly if we did have enough money to bring bodyguards, because no one's trying to kill us. I haven't affected the world for Christ enough to where people should want to kill me. It's because I'm not doing my job properly. I wish I was. Nobody's trying to kill me. And by the way, if somebody does come in to try to kill me here at this church, don't get some fantasyful idea in your mind where you're going to jump in front of the bullet. You didn't earn that bullet. It's mine. Give it to me. The day you spend up here preaching for 12 years, then you can take the bullet. 
Is that weird? I just, do you guys, it's probably more prevalent among men than women, but do you ever fantasize in a church setting about being a hero? Guys, a gunman comes in, your, your senses are so heightened that you spot him right away. He starts firing, you jump in front of either your girl or the pastor and take a bullet, but it's always in the arm because you don't want to die because you want to live long enough to be the hero in front of everybody's eyes. Has anybody fantasized about that? Of course. But there is some bullets, some wrath that nobody can block except Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who stood in between the Father's wrath, pouring out upon sin because the Father loves us, sent his one and only son, the son in obedience and according to the son will, his will stood in front of the bullet. And he took it on our behalf. Now here's the, uh, um, I was thinking about this because I've given this illustration hundreds of times. To further this illustration, it's not that Jesus Christ just jumps in front of the bullets of God's wrath for us. It's also that he jumps in front of the bullets of God's wrath for a people who had betrayed him. Can you imagine? You think about doing this with people you love, don't you? Like, I'll save my wife. I'll save my children. Right? I'll save, you know, I'll jump in front of the bullet for, for pasta. Or some call me passy. I'll do this and that. But what about the person who this previous week slapped you in the face, stole all your money, slandered you, mocked you, And, and, and now as they're killing you with a knife, you save their lives. That is the people Jesus is dying for, his enemies. This is unmatched by any individual in all of human history. To this extent, nobody has ever died for people like this. So as Jesus is receiving the wrath of his father, protecting us, we are behind him, mocking him and stabbing him in the back as he's dying for us. And he still died for us with that knowledge. We serve an incredible God. For, and the Bible says it. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We were his enemies. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received the reconciliation. The apostle Paul is proved now for five chapters. That we are enemies of God that we can't save ourselves, that 
no matter how much we try to obey the law in order to attain righteousness so that we may be reconciled, so that we may have eternal life, so that we may be born again, it is impossible. So while we were without strength in due season, Christ came to die for the ungodly. And and Paul's giving a contrast. You can scarcely find a man who will die for the most important people in the world. But Christ died for us, those who were his enemies, those who mocked him, those who beat him, those who who destroyed him, and, and all these things. He died for us. Paul is bragging on his Lord. Do you guys ever think that the apostle Paul went out into a city? and tried to be tactful by not naming the name of Christ, or he was so scared that he never mentioned Jesus Christ's name. How is it that we do that? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul's seeing what the church has become? Now listen, I'm not trying to discourage this. There's wonderful people all around the world who share the gospel all the time. But can you imagine the Apostle Paul seeing the statistics Can you imagine it? Just 84% of evangelical Protestants and free nations around the world never mention the name of Christ when they leave the church. What? That's all he can talk about. He said, I've determined to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. It talks about the wrath of God here. Now, there's something interesting that I want to tie into what we learned last week. I want to read something for you in Revelation chapter 6. Do you remember after Jesus is mutilated, after he's tortured and scourged and beaten and mocked and the robe ripped off of him in their mockery, and now they give him a cross and that African, uh, you know, gets the privilege to, to carry the cross with Jesus. And as they're going through the Villa Della Rosa, the road through Jerusalem up to Calvary, the women are weeping. And you remember, we learned last week what Jesus said to them. Incredible. He says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Because there will come a day where God's wrath will be poured out upon the world because they did not receive the wrath of God that was poured out on me, believing on me. And Jesus is essentially saying, I am able to sustain the wrath of God because I am righteous. The world will not be able to do it. And and so in Romans 5, it says that he incurred, he received the wrath of, of, of the Father. But there is coming a time When if you and I, or well, I already do, but if the world does not believe in Jesus Christ, then they will receive the wrath. And at the beginning of the tribulation, that wrath, it begins to say in Revelation 6, Now I saw when the Lamb opened up the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. I'm not doing an exposition. I just want to read to you the scriptures. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it, To take peace 
from the earth and that the people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. What? God is the one who sustains peace for the Christian, yes, but that's not the peace being mentioned here. This is the peace of world governments not going into another world war. And this world war that is spoken of here is a world war such as the world has never seen, not even in World War I and World War II. And those were terrible times for the world. He's going to take away his sustaining arm that provides a semblance of world peace so that millions of people don't die. And when he takes that away, all of a sudden people are going to lose their minds and they're going to go out killing everyone they see. That's an incredible judgment. Verse 7, when he, um, where is it? No, verse 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see and look, behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. You know what's interesting? I was just watching a documentary on Adolf Hitler and his men. I don't know why I love them so much. I've seen like 50 of them. It's a fascinating thing that a weird little hummus-eating man almost took over the world. With bad breath. But you know what? He was just that to the nation. He had a very small following until Wall Street fell and the Great Depression happened in America. And because of this, a Great Depression spread across the world because America was the source of a lot of Germans' funds. And do you know that a loaf of bread went, I don't even know, it went, it went from like a couple cents to several dollars even back then. And all of a sudden, people turned to Hitler because he was talking about an economic crisis and they thought he was some prophet. Do you know how the world is going to turn to evil men who were just weird before because of an economic crisis like this? You're talking about going to buy a loaf of bread for $200. Nobody will be able to have bread. Starvation will hit the planet. Verse um, 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse. So you got four horses of the apocalypse. And the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given over them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, death and the beast of the earth. You guys hearing this? So this fourth horse the angel of death. So an angel gets to come and God says, you get to kill a fourth of the world's population. I don't even know. What's a fourth of eight billion? Who knows? Or who knows what the population will be during this time. After the church is raptured, it may be less, but it's maybe around seven, eight billion people, six billion, five. Either way, millions upon millions of people are going to die in a few weeks. Do you hear how one of the ways that this angel is going to kill human beings on earth? Through the beast of the field. (laughs) 
We're going to have lions running down the street mauling people in Africa. Snakes sneaking into people's houses, biting them. On a worldwide level. I mean, this happened in the past on very isolated levels, like when God let vipers and poisonous snake come into the camp of Israel. Now he's going to release hippos and rhinoceros and black mambas and cobras. And that is how he's going to kill all these people. That is terrifying. I do not want to die with a lion eating me. Amen to that, right? Get born again or you might. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of the fellow servants and the brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. I don't want to get into that. There's a lot there. And then the sixth seal. I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of the heaven fell to earth, and a fig tree dropped with late feeds. It had been shaken by the wind. I'm not going to even finish reading them at a time. It's describing an asteroid hitting the earth. You should read Dr. Morris's revelation record. Everything that is being described, the ash, the sun turning red, is that what would happen when an asteroid blocks the the sun because it hits earth and all of the debris blocks the sun for a, a period of time. And because of this asteroid, earthquakes will spread. Guys, this is like a movie that we've seen. You've seen Greenland, the movie recently? An asteroid is going to be sent by God to the earth. What's my point? Avoid this wrath and receive Christ because God has poured his wrath on him. And even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have an eternal hope to avoid the wrath of the Father. But his wrath will pour out on those who do not receive his son.